0: It was awesome. Oh, hello. Good morning. My name is Peter Carlson. I'm the worship leader here at Hiawatha Church. I'm also one of the elders. And uh, it's uh, my turn to bring the message. Uh, the pastors were traveling this week, and it worked out well for, uh, for one of us to take the sermon this week. And fun fact, if you come for about a four-week stretch starting two weeks ago, you'll get four different speakers in four weeks, because Jesse spoke two weeks ago, Spencer last week, me this week, Chris next week. It's Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. It's pretty exciting. So, if you don't know me, um, like I said, I'm usually the worship leader. I'm married to Becky. She's the the office manager here as well. We have two kids, Elliot and Zachary. Um, and I am a Minnesotan guy. So, I've uh, I've lived in Minnesota pretty much my whole life. Um, I was I was born in Germany, so that doesn't count. But I've lived in Minnesota pretty much my whole life since then. Um, a lot of different places. Um, over the years, I grew up in Rochester, so uh, you could see the giant Mayo Clinic downtown buildings from, from our backyard, which is cool. And, uh, oh yeah, see, I usually do that. Um, and uh, and so I grew up in Rochester, moved up here to the, to the Twin Cities for college, so I went to Northwestern College and lived in the student housing there. I lived in an apartment across from the Dollar Theater in Roseville for a summer. Um, I rented a really ratty college house with some guys uh, towards the end of college. It was one of these big houses in St. Paul. Um, we thought it was so cool when we moved in, and we lived there for like a month. And after after a month, we're like, "This place is kind of a dump." Why did we not know that ahead of time? We're like, because we're young. But when we moved in, some of the guys were still moving their stuff out who used to live there, and they're like, "You are going to love this place." And we're like, "Oh, that's good." We're like, there's no police presence at all. Like, oh, okay. It's like, yeah, we had a party with six metal bands, and no cops showed up. And we're like, cool. I don't think we're gonna do that. And then we met like this young family who lived right next door. We're like, I'm so sorry, <laughs> but uh, so I lived there, and uh, and now Becky and I live in South Minneapolis, and um, we actually live a couple blocks away from the house that she was renting when I proposed to her. So sometimes we walk by that. Oh yeah, it's upstairs in that in that bedroom that uh, that I proposed to you, and it's uh, all these different places nearby that, that bring back these memories of what it was like years ago and when, when I used to live there or go there um, and, uh, and also there's this house that is my grandparents house in, uh, in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. so it's in Ottertail County, West Central Minnesota and uh, they are they're selling this house um, soon. They don't live there anymore. My grandmother's passed away my grandfather, Uh, is living in Alexandria for some care, and so they don't live there anymore. We don't really go there anymore, but this house holds a whole lot of memories for me and my family, going there for Christmases and Thanksgivings um, for years and years and years, and just seeing pictures of this house, this big giant farmhouse uh, outside of Pelican, um, makes me think of all these times that, that I used to go there years and years ago with my younger brothers, my cousins, very big family. So My grandparents had seven kids, and each of them had at least two kids, so when we would have family get-togethers at that house, we would fill it up. It's a big house, but it would get crowded fast. Um, So there are all these different places throughout Minnesota that have a lot of memories for me, and thinking about them, or even visiting them, bring back more memories um, and make me think about who I was when I used to go there more often, what it was like back then, and it's just these, these warm, warm memories. And we're going to talk today about a guy in the book of Genesis who retraces his steps and visits some places that he had been, but not for many, many years, and thinks about what what those places mean, what kind of meaning they hold for him. And so I'm calling this sermon, People, Places, and Kings. It's going to make a little more sense later. And we're going to be in the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 35, because we're in a series now in the book of Genesis. We're coming up to the end. We only have like three or four... Sermons left on the book of Genesis, which is crazy because we 've been in it pretty much the whole year two thousand sixteen but we're almost done so right now in chapter thirty five we 're hearing about this guy named Jacob, and he's had a pretty bizarre life so right from right from when he was born he was the he was one of two twins, obviously two twins and uh and he was born second, but when they came out, he came out holding on to his older brother's heel and so his parents named him Jacob because Jacob sounds like the phrase, he takes the heel. Um, but it also has kind of an air of, a, of supplanter or, you know, someone who, who wants to take someone else's spot, basically. Um, so that was weird. Um, just a weird way to start his life. But then a lot of other weird stuff happened. So later on, when they were older, he tricked his brother. not I mean, he, he deceived his brother into giving up his birthright. For a bowl of stew so his brother was super hungry from hunting and he said i'll I'll, i'm making this stew and you can have some but you have to give me your birthright your right as firstborn uh for whatever inheritance we would get and his brother's like of course of course just it's fine i just need some stew and so he took his brother's birthright and then later um he also took his his older brother's blessing because his father was going to give him this special blessing for being the firstborn and, uh, and Jacob tricked his, his elderly father into giving him the blessing by putting, like, goat skins on him, and his father is kind of blind, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Esau. You're supposed to give me the blessing, and so he did. And then his brother found out about that and was super mad, and his brother's like, as soon as my dad dies, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I don't want my dad to know, so he, when he dies, I'm totally going to kill you for that. And so Jacob ran away, ran far, far away to a different, different area, uh, met a really pretty girl, told told her dad I want to marry her and his her dad's like sure definitely work for seven years as as one of my laborers and then you can you can marry my daughter Rachel and so he worked seven years and then there was a big wedding and she was veiled and they got married and then he woke up the next morning and it was actually Rachel's sister Leah that he had married and slept with that night and so he was really mad and he got tricked so he went to the to Laban the father and said look here that's not cool at all uh, to, to make me marry someone else. And he's like, right, but there's this rule that you have the firstborn daughter has to get married first, and so I thought it would be okay. But you can definitely also marry Rachel, but you also have to work another seven years. He's like, fine. So he works another seven years, marries Rachel. So now he's married to two sisters. Very weird. Um, and, and all of this happens. They start having kids, and then God tells Jacob, it's time for you to leave this area where you're working with Laban, your father-in-law, and go back to the promised land that you were in before, this land that I promised to give to your grandfather Abraham, your father Isaac, I'm promising to give it to you. It's time for you to go back. But it takes a really long time to get extricated from this relationship with Laban, because Laban doesn't want him to leave, because it's like free work, basically, because he's family. But he finally gets away and, uh, and goes back to Canaan and... He gets there and the first thing that happens is one of his daughters gets violently raped by one of the locals and then his sons kill all the locals over this and he, they're just having a really bad time. <laughs> he's having a really bad time and a very bizarre life. So Genesis 31.3 from a little bit ago, this is when he's with Laban. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred and I will be with you. So that's when he's heading back towards Canaan and then in chapter 33, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from, from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city, and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pinched his, pitched his tent. So he is already back in the land, he bought a parcel of land outside this city of Shechem, and he he's set up camp, so he's back, back in the in the land, I've got a I've got a little map that can maybe help illustrate this a little bit. It's a little light here, I guess. So here's where he was with Laban up here, not in Canaan. Canaan is all of this over here on this side of the river. So he's up here. When God tells him to go back, he makes this journey south, crosses over. In the midst of this area here, he meets up with Esau again and thinks Esau is going to kill him, but actually they make up, um, and and Esau effectively forgives him. And then he makes it to Shechem here. This is where. All that violence happens, but he's camped here and he bought the land. So basically he's planning to stay. He's in the land of Canaan, he bought he bought a parcel of land, he's planning to stay. But this week in chapter 35, now that we're all caught up, um, God speaks to him again and says, uh, you're back in the promised land, um, I want you to go back to a different area in the promised land, the area of Bethel. So we're going to read the entire chapter of Genesis 35 um, here and then we'll come back around and uh, and unpack it a little bit. So, starting in verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed a terror from God, fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. That's earlier. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel, so he called its name Alon-Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, "'Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name.' So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, "'I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body.'" The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, and a pillar pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel, so this is his wife the one that he wanted to marry in the first place went into labor and she had hard labor and when her labor was at its hardest the midwife said to her do not fear for you have another son and as her soul was departing for she was dying she called his name ben-oni but his father called him benjamin so rachel died and she was buried on the way to ephrath that is bethlehem and jacob set up a pillar over her tomb it is the pillar of rachel's tomb which is there to this day israel journeyed on And pitched his tent beyond the tower of Edar. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Noted. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So again, quickly on this map, he came all the way down here from, from where Laban was, where he got married, all the way down here across bought land. God told him to go further south, so he went south. Here's Bethel. And then he kept on going from there. Here's Bethlehem, so this is where Rachel died and Benjamin was born. He kept going back down here, all the way south to Mamre Hebron, where, where his dad is still living, back where he was born. So his real and literal home area in the promised land of Canaan. So we're going to look at the significance of names. And I hope you notice that there are so many names. Like, there are so many names that some places have three names. So we're going to hear about names a lot today. We're going to talk about places and why different places are significant for different reasons. And we're going to talk about that promise of kings that, that we heard that God gave to, to Jacob as well, that kings would come from his own body. And through all of this, the theme is going to be about remembering, why it's important to remember these things and other things as well but before we get into that just a few observations about this passage one of them I mentioned before Jacob had bought land near Shechem and then God calls him south. Jacob had been worried about the safety of his family because after after some of his sons killed all those guys at the city of Shechem he was he was pretty frustrated with his sons to say the least and said don't you understand that we're a pretty small family and they were like the kings of that town and they have friends in this area and it would be really easy for these friends to band together and come and just kill all of us in retaliation for what you did. So for them to move on from the land where the, that they owned and keep moving was probably pretty dangerous in his mind. But it goes out of, the Bible says that God caused the locals to fear him. So as they were going, like there's great fear swept around the towns that they were going through and they didn't do anything to him. So there's, there's, a, there's some protection there from God. Um, like I mentioned, Reuben sleeps with his father's concubine. It's one of those things as you're reading along, you're like, okay, why do we need to put that in there? It doesn't seem like it's relevant to anything. Um, it will it will uh, come back around later on in, in Genesis um, that that's not something that is just forgotten by Jacob. Uh, there will be some some consequences for, for Reuben. So there's a reason that it's placed here. And then the other interesting thing is he gets all the way back, and his father Isaac is still alive. Because when he left, the it was talking about how he's so old and he's blind and I mean he's feeling goat skins on his arms and figuring, figuring that's his other son's hairy arms. Like his son is as hairy as a goat. It's crazy. So you feel like, wow, he is just at death's door. And then Jacob's been gone for probably 20 years and he gets home and his father's still alive. It's pretty impressive. Um, and it says that he was 180 years old when he died. So um, had, a, had a good long life. But that's very interesting when he dies, he is buried by both of his sons. So Esau is there as well. Jacob is there as well. Um, and uh, it's probably not something that that Isaac anticipated, that his son Jacob, who would, you know, run away, was ever going to come back and, and try to mend that relationship. But he does. So that's, that's an interesting thing as well. So the first thing we're going to talk about is people. People and names. Um, why those are important. So in those days, obviously you saw, like when Benjamin was born... His mother gave him the name Ben-Oni, which is, you know, son of my sorrows because she was in such sorrow and she was dying. And then uh, Jacob names him something else. And there are a lot of names in the Bible where it says they named him blank because blank. There's always some sort of a reason. I named him Esau because he had red hair. And Esau sounds like the word of red and all this stuff. Um, There was usually a a reason that, that people were... Uh, naming their kids what they were naming them. And there are plenty of places in the Bible, too, where God speaks to someone and says, you're going to have a son and I want you to give him this name because of this reason. Even Mary, when she is visited by an angel, the angel says, you're going to have a son and you're supposed to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So we see this all the time. And today, I don't know if we put quite as much pre-thought into what we're naming our kids. For Becky and I, it was more like, let's find names that we like and then look them up in the book and hope that the meaning is not something weird. Um, but back then, there was a lot more thought, you know, well, maybe today we're naming after someone from our family, or, or our dad, or something, or a TV character that we really like, or maybe we're just making up a name that sounds cool, because we want it to be unique. But in the biblical times, um, there was a lot more thought that went into it. So the first thing I want to bring to us today is remember who you were. Remember who you were. As a name is an identity, remember who you were when God renames Jacob, he actually renamed him earlier when, when, uh, when he wrestled with God at a, at a time in a couple chapters ago. But he, he sort of reemphasizes that here. He says, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he brings up, your name is Jacob. Do you remember that I renamed you a while ago? That's still in play here. Your name is not going to be Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, you will now be called Israel. And if you remember what Jacob was like, I talked about it a little bit, he was kind of a tricky guy, um, and his name, you know, literally kind of means supplanter, someone who wants to take someone else's place, and they named him that because he was holding onto his brother's heel when they came out, like he almost wanted to like, get, get back so I can come out first. Um, that was who he was before, someone who tricks, someone who cheats. Um, he's been cheated by his father-in-law as well. His whole life has kind of been defined by this idea of trying to take someone else's rightful place for his own or tricking people to get what he wants or being tricked. Um, it's kind of defined his life. But Israel, as a name, means he strives with God. So it's, whereas the, the trickster, the supplanter idea is a little more Jacob-focused of what he will do. He strives with God, Israel, is something a lot more God-focused, talking about how God is, is part of his life. It's a little more God-centered than, than his, the name uh, Jacob would be. So there's a contrast here between who he used to be and then this life that he's left behind and God saying, now this, this is now who you are going to be you're now going to be someone who who is striving with me so god is redeeming him out of that old life that he had and this is applicable to us as well to remember who we used to be versus who we are first corinthians 6 says this or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. You used to be like that, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, he's not just saying, look at all these things that exclude people from the kingdom of God aren't you glad that you're not like that aren't you glad that you can clearly delineate who's out from you guys who are in actually the point of him saying this is saying and such were some of you guys you fell into that list the difference is that you were sanctified by the name of Jesus that's the difference so don't forget and get high and mighty saying like oh yeah that stuff yeah not me that's not me at all Well, yeah, it's not you at all, but it was you. It for sure was you. But that old stuff has passed away, and we are a new creation when we've been washed and sanctified by Jesus Christ. So don't just forget that you were like that. Remember who you were, but also remember who you are. So when Jacob is is getting ready to go on this journey. One of the first things he does when God says, I want you to head back towards Bethel where I gave you that dream of the ladder where all of that stuff happened. I appeared to you for the first time. I want you to head back there. The first thing Jacob does is go to his family and say, we're going on a trip and I want you to bury those idols that I know you have. So there was a thing earlier where when they were running away from Laban, Rachel stole the idols and she was sitting on them on her saddle, on her camel. And when he, when her dad caught up and said, I want all the stuff you guys took, including the idols, He looked all over for him and couldn't find him. And then Rachel's like, yeah, I can't get up for you to search my saddle because I'm on my period, so you can't do it. And he's like, oh, okay. And he left. So they've had these idols for a long time. And now Jacob is clearly saying, I know you guys have them, and we're going to bury them before we go on this journey. We're going to bury that old way of what we were. And we're going to do something different. So remember who you were, this kind of list, this sort of stuff, idols, Jacob buries those idols. And there's other places in this passage. He has to bury Rebecca's nurse. says he buries her under a tree. He has to bury his wife, Rachel, when she passes away. So when it says he buries those idols, I mean, he could have burned them. He could have, like, made a grand gesture of throwing them into the river or something like that. But he buries them, which is an interesting parallel to these other burials that he's doing. So it's not just leave them behind. It's like they're dead. They're dead and buried. We're moving on from that. So now, we need to remember who we are. Who are we? If we're not that anymore, if when we're redeemed and sanctified and justified by Christ, then who are we after that? In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Again, passed away. That's death language. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So again, the old has passed away. And this is from God. This is not from us. This is from God that he's doing this. He sent Jesus to reconcile us to himself to make us right and and it says he forgave our sins he gave he uh, count not counting their trespasses against them so that big long list from 1 Corinthians that we fell into we once were that god is saying jesus has come to reconcile and to not count that stuff against you because you are a new creation brand new Brand new creation, born again. So if you don't know this phrase, born again, you've probably heard it maybe even in pop culture. Like, oh, born again Christians. This is what we're talking about is a new creation. Like, we're we're being we're dying and being reborn as something else. And part of being born is being given a name, right? So again, coming back to this idea of names. When a baby is born, it needs a name. And so we're given a new name, like just like a new baby is because we have been born again. Now, born again might be a little hard for for some people to grasp, and it certainly was for one of the Pharisees in Jesus' time named named Nicodemus. So he had heard Jesus talking, he had had heard of who he was, and so he went to him at night so nobody would know that he was going to check it out. Asked him some questions, and uh, Jesus started talking to him about being born again. And I really love this exchange. So Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Because he's thinking really, you know, concretely here. That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So we're talking about a spiritual rebirth here. We're not talking about some, some weird crawl back inside your mom and be born again like Nicodemus was thinking. We're talking about a spiritual rebirth here. This is, this is a change on the inside where God is recreating a brand new being in your spirit. That is what we're talking about here. And giving us a new name, just like he gave to Jacob. So while, while Jacob was cheating and running away, God brings him back, brings him back to the promised land, Gives him a new name, saying that's not going to define you anymore. Leave those things behind. Leave behind the the idols that you and your family have been carrying with you on this journey. Leave those behind because something new is happening within you. There's other places in the Bible where names were changed. We saw this earlier in Genesis. Abraham used to be called Abram. Abram means high father, and Abraham means father of a multitude. So it's similar, but there's a new twist that God gives it. When God calls him Abraham, he's saying there's a promise associated with this. Yeah, you're a father. This is good. But there's something more. You're going to be a father of a multitude. He points up and says, look at the stars. Try to count them. You can't. That's how many kids you're going to have in your, in your family. His wife was named Sarai. God changed that to Sarah. Sarai means, means my princess, uh, and Sarah means mother of nations. So it's a, it's a similar thing to say, look, I'm changing your name because I'm also making a new claim upon what you're going to do. You are going to become a mother of nations. Uh, in the New Testament, Simon is one of the disciples. He's named Simon. Jesus calls him and, uh, and starts saying, I'm going to call you Peter and not Simon. So there's a name change there. Simon means God has heard. Peter means rock. And later on, Jesus says, you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. When, when, when Peter makes a claim and says, you are the Son of God. So there's reasons for these name changes. It's not just sort of random, like, I think I'm going to just call you something else, like a nickname. Uh, and obviously, Jacob, we've talked about, to he strives with God. So when we, have, when we see these instances of people's names being changed, it's a signal of a recreation, but also it's a signal of a purpose and a promise. Just like we see a promise... To Jacob here. The new name has a new promise, has the same promise, and the same instructions uh, given to his forefathers are now given to him with that promise. This is your land, you're gonna own this land, you're gonna live here, you're gonna have tons of kids. All of this stuff is wrapped up in it. The new name has a new blessing, a new calling, and a new purpose. And in Revelation, so we're in the first book of the Bible. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, there's even a picture. Of a, of a new name as well. In Revelation 2, uh, the Apostle John is getting a vision and he's seeing all these letters being given to churches and one of them ends like this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Isn't that an awesome picture? To see a name change for the people that are in Christ. It says that I'm going to give him a white stone. It's going to have a new name and no one's going to know that new name except the person who has it. That kind of intimate, special, one-on-one relationship between Jesus Christ and those of us who believe that we are given a brand new name. We're given a white stone with this name written on it and it's a secret just for us, individually. And that, Name, just like we've been saying, name changes come with a promise, they come with a blessing, they come with a purpose. This is the kind of thing that we receive when we believe in Christ. So remember who you were, but you're not that anymore if you're in Christ. Remember who you are, that you're a brand new creation, that you've been given a new name, a new blessing, a new purpose. So now let's talk about places. Genesis 1, first and following, from the beginning of our chapter today. So when God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods who are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So there's three main places that we heard about today, right? There's Bethel. So he goes back to Bethel. That's where he had this dream, this vision earlier in his life of a, of a ladder reaching to heaven and angels going up and down on the ladder. He goes back to Bethel where he'd had that dream. There's this place called Ephrath, which is also called Bethlehem, where Rachel dies and Benjamin was born. And then further on down south is this place called Mamre or Hebron. That's where we get the name Hebrew. This place called Hebron, which is his original home. So all of these are part of Canaan, part of the promised land. This is where our whole story takes place. So we're going to talk about places. Similar to what we did with people or names, with places, we we should remember where we've been. Remember where we've been. Remember these difficult times, times of distress. Remember the places that we were when, when we were distressed, but how God was faithful through those times. Just like Jacob is meditating on this and saying, we're going back to Bethel. This is this is one of those places. The last time I was there, I was running for my life because my brother wanted to kill me and I was running away and I, I didn't really even plan to go back. Didn't even plan to go back. So he's remembering this and he's saying, wow, now thinking back, God has been with me wherever I've gone. He was with me in Hebron and I ran north. He was with me in Bethel. I kept going. He was with me all the way up where Laban was messing with me and where I was marrying sisters. He's been with me this whole time. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but especially in the Old Testament, God spends a lot of time constantly telling his people to remember his faithfulness. Remember the way, how it was before. Remember how you've been through all of this stuff and I've been with you. Remember how you're alive right now and by all accounts maybe shouldn't be alive right now. Remember all of those things. Don't doubt then that I'm going to be faithful in the future because you have all of this past to look back on. Especially the Exodus. In Exodus 13, this is, so eventually, this family will be very large. they will be a nation, the nation of Israel. They're going to get enslaved in Egypt for years and years and years. And then a guy named Moses is going to be used by God to bring them out. You've probably heard this story. So right before they're going to get brought out, Moses says to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt. It hasn't happened yet, but he's saying this. You came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So he's instituting this Passover feast, and he says, The reason that we're going to eat bread without yeast is because we're going to remember this night when God took us out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, and brought us back again to the promised land of Canaan. I want you to remember that by having this feast. And it's all over the Old Testament if you read. God will over and over and over again talk about, do you remember how you, you almost were just wiped out as slaves in a foreign land, but I miraculously brought you out of that land back to the promised land, and now you have a nation? Do you remember that? Because you need to remember that. This is a testimony for those people to say, this is is the story of my life. I used to be in a state of fear, a state of slavery, and spiritual homelessness. But God brought me out of that. By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from that place, that place where I used to be. But he caused me to be born again into a new family, into a new home, and I'm not there anymore. Remember where you've been. It goes along with that list of things that you used to be like that you're not like anymore. But you also used to live in this state of slavery and fear. If you're in Christ, He's brought you out of that, out of that state of slavery, out of a foreign land where where people were worshiping other gods, and it was starting to infiltrate into our family too. We're not there anymore. We're back with Christ. So remember where you've been, but remember your true home. So at the end of this chapter. Jacob has come all the way back from this long journey, all the way back to his literal like hometown where his family is, where his dad is still living. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. So Isaac has been living there. His father, Isaac's father, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, has been living there. This is their, their home base. And he makes it all the way back home. It feels a little bit like the, the parable of the prodigal son, right? Where he's been gone, and he's been doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He's been getting married to sisters. He's been bringing foreign gods into his camp. He's been, his kids have been killing people, and his kids have been sleeping with his servants and all this stuff, And but he comes home, and his father is there, and he and his brother are reconciled, and he and his father are reconciled, and he and his brother together bury their father. Like, as a father, wouldn't that be the thing you most wanted in your life by the end to say, if if there's one thing I could have before I die, it's that my two sons would be reconciled to each other, that the son who ran away from home would come back to me, and that the two of them would just lower me into the ground. That would be the ultimate thing for Isaac, and that happens. God blesses him in that way that all of that stuff from before is over there's reconciliation there just like we read from second corinthians the ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled to god we can have reconciliation with each other we see that here in genesis the very first book jesus hasn't even been born yet but this sort of thing is already happening amongst his people full restoration closure peace all these things with the people that jacob played for fools really right Jacob doesn't really deserve that. They don't owe him that. He's the one that wronged him. But it's all forgiven and they have that peace. If you've been with us for most of the series on Genesis, you've heard us say before that this promised land, this land of Canaan, this place that is Jacob's true home, it's really a picture of Jesus Christ beforehand. The land itself represents Jesus Christ a place where they can have peace and rest and comfort. In Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham. This is a chapter where it tells about all these people from the Old Testament who did things by faith. It says, By faith he, speaking of Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, that's Canaan, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So it's interesting to say here, yeah, he went and lived in the promised land like God told him, but the the time that he spent there, he's actually looking forward. He's not just like, oh good, this is the land. This is, it's it. He's looking forward to something more than just a land. He's looking forward to a city that has foundations. They're living in tents. They're kind of moving around, you know, they're like Bedouins moving around with their flocks. And he's looking forward to a city with foundations whose designer and builder is God. That is talking about Jesus Christ our ultimate home is not a physical land it's not we all need to go back to Canaan it's not we need to make pilgrimages to Canaan every year or anything like that belief and salvation comes from Jesus Christ that is our true home we don't have to make this journey to get to God God has come to us he's brought our home to us so remember your true home in the midst of all of that. And then lastly, we're going to talk about kings and remembering Jesus Christ himself. So God restated the promise to Jacob. Said so this, is, this is all of what the promise entails. It was for Abraham. It was for Isaac. It's now, it's going to be for you. This is the promise. It resides with you. And there were basically three main things associated with this promise that he gave him first thing is the land the land i gave to abraham i will give to you and your kids and then he throws in so be fruitful and multiply have lots of kids because there's a lot of land here that's actually from genesis 1 he gave that same mandate to, to adam and eve have a lot of kids fill up this land secondly a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. So he's like you're going to have a lot of kids and it's going to be so many that they're going to be like nations. They're going to be their own nations because you have so many. And then thirdly, kings shall come from your own body. So part of this promise to Jacob is some of your sons are going to be kings. And that would probably be pretty fantastic to hear cuz they're, you know, they're fairly wealthy but they don't have cities. They're just these nomads. But to say, like, there are going to be kings in your family coming later. And then, basically right after all this happens and they keep moving, they journeyed on from Bethel. Rachel goes into labor and she has a son. She dies while she's giving birth, but she has a son. Oh, wow. Is this, is this a sign? Like I, I said, you're gonna, is he going to be king? Uh, no, no. But what's interesting here? is where does she get where is she when she gives birth and dies she's right near a town called bethlehem and if you've read any of the bible you probably know the story of where jesus was born it was in bethlehem jesus was born in bethlehem so it's an amazing foreshadowing here that jacob has just heard some of your kids are going to be kings and then he has a son and his wife who's dying says, I think we need to call him son of my sorrows. And, and Jacob says, I think we need to call him son of my right hand. Thinking of maybe a little bit in these kingly terms. Son of my right hand. But his son Benjamin is not going to be a king. Though he is the only, only child he has to be born in the promised land, which is interesting. And he does have a special bond with him, we'll see later. But, Benjamin is not going to be a very important, politically important figure at all. What's really important to understand here is that one of his descendants, hundreds of years later, will be Jesus Christ, who will be born in Bethlehem. A tragic death of his wife has brought new life. Benoni, son of my sorrows, Jesus is called a man of sorrows. Benjamin means son of my right hand. When Jesus rose, it says he sat down at God's right hand. These things are pointing us towards the true king, Jesus Christ. His tragic death brings new life. So when we think about these things, these promises that were given to Jacob, these promises all point us to the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the latter from Jacob's dream in Bethel. Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. Jesus is the true promised land where we find peace. Not a literal land, but a man who brings us in. Jesus is the king who will be born at Bethlehem. Jesus is the one who will die to bring new life. Jesus is the one who welcomes us to himself when we've lied to him and gone our own way like Jacob. Jesus is like Isaac in that way. Who who doesn't say like, yeah, you're the one who wronged me. I don't want any part of it. I want Esau to, to bury me. I don't care about you. No, no, no. Jesus is the one who welcomes us to himself when we've lied and gone our own way. And the name of Jesus is the one that will unite these disparate nations that will come from Jacob. will unite them in worship. We see that in the book of Revelation too. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will join together in worshiping Jesus Christ. Reuniting the nations. So, we can see the Old Testament people are living this out, but God is writing the story of human history and weaving in these little clues, these little arrows that are pointing us in beautiful ways to his son, Jesus Christ, centuries before he would even be born. So, the people living at this time like Jacob are just living it. They have maybe an understanding, though God reveals that to them, of This is bigger than just our family. This is bigger than just have a lot of kids. This is bigger than just a ladder dream. Maybe they have some understanding, but rudimentary. But we live on this side, and we can look back and say, oh, wow. We see Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. It's all pointing towards him. And it makes so much more sense that way when we think about it because we look and say, like, I don't really see how Benjamin's birth was that important? I don't see a, one of his kids being king. I just, if when we read on, we see more mess. More mess from his family. We look beyond that. We look towards Jesus Christ. It starts to fall into place. So for me to wrap up here, just a few things for you guys to take with you. First of all, believe the gospel, be a new creation, and bury your old self. If you If you aren't already A believer in Jesus, you can be. You can be recreated from the inside. You can be given that new name, spiritual name, and leave all that old way, those old places, those old definitions of who you were behind, and have a new reborn life in Jesus Christ. And burying your idols is important, to bury your old sinful self. But just know that that's not that's not just the end of it because you know later on there was that little note and then Reuben went and slept with his father's servant well i thought they buried their idols i thought i thought they were good now why why is this stuff still happening well yeah obviously this stuff is still going to happen it's not it's not this physical act of like i threw away all my magazines i i installed something on my computer i'm all good now well yeah but it's it's much deeper than that the sin is inside of us and we need to direct ourselves towards Jesus constantly and be reminded of who we were and who we are and bury our idols as best we can, but just know that it's not, it's not a physical act of burying something that's going to that's make all, of thing, all this better. So believe the gospel, be a new creation, bury your old self, and then remember. Maybe it's a broken record by now, but the, the idea of remembrance is all over Scripture. Philippians 3.1, Paul's writing, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. So he's saying, it's not a trouble for me to remind you of things that you've heard before. In fact, it's safer for me if I'm reminding you. Of, it's safer for you if I'm reminding you over and over again of the same things because you forget these things all the time, and they're the most important things. The gospel is the most important thing. So don't get tired of hearing the gospel. If you're coming to Hiawatha and maybe it's like your fourth or fifth week, and you're like, I feel like I hear the same thing every week. We're like, yeah, yeah, you do. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. So don't get tired of being told the gospel. Don't get tired of hearing it. Don't get tired of remembering it. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember that your home is with Jesus, the city with foundations, not a physical land. We call, we call the land of Israel the holy land. It's just a land. It's, it's cool to go and visit, but we don't have to have some sort of like amazing, holy connection to a physical land anymore. We have Jesus Christ. He is our home. He's that city with foundations. And Jesus Christ himself is the king, and his sacrifice is the thing that has given us this new life. Without it, we would be right back where we were in the first place. So remember that. Remember Jesus as your promised land. And as you're remembering him, just rest. Rest in the way that you rest when you're home. A place where you feel comfortable, where you have all these good memories of what he has done for you, what he will do for you. Find yourself in that place and just rest and dwell and remember who Jesus is, what he has done for you, and who you are because of his sacrifice. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you recreate, that you are a recreator, that you don't leave us in the state that you find us, but that you make us new, that you strip away the sin from our hearts, and that you make us a new creation, that you give us a new name, and that comes with a blessing and a purpose and that this comes from you, it's not from us. I pray that you would give us that strength that we need to bury our idols and not go back to those things, but to dwell in that promise and that hope of who you are and what you have done at the cross in redeeming us and canceling that sin. I pray that we would never grow tired of remembering and being reminded of that good news. In your name, amen. Please stand and join us in singing. Thank mm-hmm.